Why don't you open up your Bibles to 1 Kings? We're going to enter into the book of 1 Kings today, and um, we're going to look uh, at 1 Kings chapter 1, and then we're going to read into chapter 2 as well. And so if you um, have your Bibles, your phones, if you could read along together with me, uh, that would be great. And um, we're going to begin reading in 1 Kings chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and, um, and proceed from there. So let's, let's read God's word together. Now King Solomon was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with <clears throat> clothes, they, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought uh, for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him. But the king knew her not. Now Adonijah, the son of Hagith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Rei, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah... Uh, the son of Hagith has become king, and David our Lord does not know it. Now therefore come, let me give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words." So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But the eyes of all Israel are on you, to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come to pass, when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders." While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, Here is Nathan the prophet. 
And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him, and saying, Long live king Adonijah. But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then king David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so will I do this day. And then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Carathites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, What does this uproar of the city mean? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. And Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man, and bring good news. Jonathan answered Adonijah, No, for our lord King David has made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Carathites and Pelethites, and they had him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you've heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our lord, King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. And the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went his own way, and Adonijah feared Solomon. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar 
and that it was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon, for behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your son if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. But deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be amongst those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for your glorious word this morning and how your word speaks to us, Old Testament and new, in all times and every cultural situation that we face in the moment. Lord, comfort us, your people, in the midst of all that we're facing. Comfort us through your word this morning. Remind us of you and how awesome you are, how wonderful of a Savior you are, and cause our hearts to rejoice that we have you in our lives, Lord Jesus, if we've repented of our sins and believed in you. We love you, and we ask that you would anoint the preaching of your word this morning and touch us, Holy Spirit. Revive us, renew us, refresh us, restore us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the year here is 970 BC, and, and it's really easy sometimes to remember the, the reign of King David. If you just think to 1000 BC, he actually started uh, reigning at 1010 BC and reigned for 40 years here to 970 BC. 
And uh, this is the very end of King David's reign. It, it's signifying here these two chapters, the transition from King David to King Solomon, both of whom are listed in Matthew chapter 1 as part of the royal line leading up to the birth of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we see God working his plan in this uh, glorious section of scripture here in 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2. And I'm going to look at uh, three points this morning. The first is the Lord lives. Secondly, the Lord has been faithful. And thirdly, the Lord will be faithful. So the Lord lives, the Lord has been faithful, and the Lord will be faithful. Um, I'm going to look firstly at the Lord lives. And just by way of a little bit of background here, which we just read, um, as David got older and approached death, his son Adonijah made a move for the throne. The, the word actually says that he exalted himself. Now, Solomon was the son who was to be king. And yet Adonijah exalted himself and maneuvered to take it for himself. The mysteries of God's providence are, are seen in transitions like this. The transition from David to his son Solomon. It's important to note this. It did not happen without some difficulty and turmoil. Um, in fact, he actually ended up being a real threat to Bathsheba and the true king, the true heir, Solomon. Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet realized that if something wasn't done by David to stop the, the selfishly ambitious maneuverings of Adonijah, then after he died... Solomon and Bathsheba would have been regarded as offenders, Bathsheba said to the king. And not only would he have been deprived of his rightful place on the throne, but he and his mother most likely would have been killed for it. And so we see um, in the background of this passage, we see turmoil, we see uh, difficulty and travail, we see also that there is a threat to the life of the king. And so these times of threat where many of us even today are feeling under threat in various ways. Um, some people are feeling under threat and, and carrying much fear regarding uh, their lives and their health. Understandably during this time with the coronavirus and others are, are feeling different kinds of anxieties. Um, some that are coming about through the prolonged quarantine and some of the the the, the uh, difficulties attending that. You know, as I was visiting different care groups this week, I was just noting that uh, just every single one of us are facing different challenges related to this time, and and uh, it, it, it's a time of turmoil. It's a time of uh, just challenge for for all of us in in various ways. Um, but here we see also that there, there was a life-threatening situation here for, for Bathsheba and also for King Solomon. And just God in his mysterious providence just ordained it to be this way. The Lord could have ordained for everything just to happen smoothly and for there to be a transition without the uh, scheming of Adonijah and the selfish, amb selfish ambition of Adonijah, but it was not to be. The Lord ordained as part of his plan for this turmoil, for this upheaval, and also for this threat to take place. 
And we'll get a glimpse into some of why that happened, but but it's important to note that as we kind of see the background here, we're looking at a background where Bathsheba and Solomon were really under threat. And so there's a heightened tension in the word that we see here. But as we look here at the, the Lord lives, one of the things we see in relation to um, Bathsheba when she approached King David and she asked him about this situation and, re- and she really exhorted her husband, and it, as, as Nathan the prophet did, to do everything that he could to make sure that Solomon would be king after him. There wasn't action yet taken that was definitive by David, and, and so it caused some of this confusion, and, and they were urging him forward to really um, make his will known as the king so that uh, the confusion would be cleared up and that Solomon would be put on the throne. In, in his place, David, when he spoke with Bathsheba, said wonderful words in verse 29 of First Kings 1. And I want to hone in on this verse um, because so much of the sermon today flows out from it. In verse 29, King David says to Bathsheba, and he, he, he's about ready to give her a promise, But it's sort of a preamble to the promise he's about to give her. Instead of just giving her the promise, David directs her gaze to a truth. And that truth is the truth that I want to highlight for us in point one this morning. David reminds his wife Bathsheba, the Lord lives. The Lord lives. As the Lord lives lives. It is so important for all of us in this time of turmoil and for all of us in the midst of this time where our lives are experiencing a degree of threat. Before we think of all the things that need to be done, before we think about what our action steps or what our plans are going to be, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us emulate David's example by reminding ourselves and reminding others of this glorious truth that will refresh our weary souls. The Lord lives. The Lord lives. I love how this theme actually flows throughout so much of David's life. Um, Gloriously in Psalm 18, David writes in a psalm earlier in his life, he writes, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock. This is Psalm 18, verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me. David goes on to say in verse 48 of Psalm 18, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. Perhaps even David's remembering back to previous times here where he had been delivered from men of violence, even as he is seeing the schemings of others in this instance. But before he thinks of his plan, he thinks of God. Before he thinks of what to do, he thinks first vertically 
before he thinks of what he needs to get done. Verse 49 says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations in Psalm 18, and sing to your name. Verse 50, the final verse in Psalm 18, David says, Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. He knew the covenant promise of the Lord that God was to show steadfast love to David and to his offspring, ultimately speaking of the offspring, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, the offspring of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed, the the son from the tribe of Judah, King David, but King David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God promises to show steadfast love to his anointed, to David and to his offspring forever. This is a king who, who knew the promises of God. And he knew that God is not just a God up enthroned in heaven above, but he's a God who's active on the earth below. And he says, the Lord lives. The Lord lives. Brothers and sisters, let us, no matter what detail we are facing, no matter what frustrations we're facing, no matter what challenges are, are, are surrounding our lives right now in the midst of this time of, of a, a prolonged threat and also a prolonged quarantine, let us keep our eyes on God at all times and let this be uppermost in our own minds, even as it was in David's during this time of threat. The Lord lives. The Lord lives. We have the knowledge of knowing that the Lord is always enthroned. But not only that, but he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And then he raised his own son up, the Lord Jesus, from the dead. And so we say that the Lord, Yahweh, lives. And and Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the God-man who came down to earth to die on the cross for sinners as our substitute, Not only did he die as our sacrifice, but he was raised to new life for our justification, which which is so glorious to remember. The Lord lives and let us ever be mindful of it in the midst of what we're facing. And just a few thoughts just by way of application, brothers and sisters, uh, to our times that we're facing right now. It's just as you look out into the media and into the culture today, there are just opinions flying in all directions um, about these times. And there's so much outrage in the culture coming from this angle and that angle and from every direction. As believers, we can be tempted to throw ourselves into the fray And at times, as we see the the different opinions flying out in the culture, we can see what seem to be at times sort of outrageous conclusions that others are making and feel our own souls rise up to want to speak and say something about something or other. Brothers and sisters, let us as we are seeing opinions fly, and even as this quarantine prolongs, 
the tensions and the, the difficulties and the turmoil of these days could grow sharper as fears of sickness remain combined with uh, a, a, an understandable weariness with a prolonged quarantine, those, the tension of that could grow stronger and stronger. And as we are seeing opinions fly all around in the culture, let us as brothers and sisters in Christ, let us as Christians be different. Let us be more mindful of this truth. The Lord lives than we are about all of the opinions flying from all the different directions in our culture. Let us be confident that our God is the one on the throne. He is the rock in the midst of every storm, including this one. And we are, as believers in Christ, we are to rise above it all. Rise above it all through keeping our eyes on the Lord, through keeping our eyes on the rock. We are to display something different to the world. Something other, something holy. When unbelievers encounter Christians speaking, they should encounter the, the atmosphere of heaven and the atmosphere of the Lord lives and the assurance that we have of the rock of our salvation. There should be something distinct and holy about us as we speak and as we think and as we pray. We are to display something different to the world because God is holy and we are called to be holy. So brothers and sisters, as we are thinking about these things, as we are praying about these things, as we even speak about these things, let us do so mindful, ever mindful without taking our eyes off of it, that the Lord lives. Our God is sovereign. He is seated on his throne. He is good. He is in control. He is infinitely wise in all that he ordains. And let us, as we speak, let us do so out of love, as scripture always exhorts us, Speak the truth in love. Let us speak with words of love, the manner of love. Let us speak to one another and speak out to the world when we do with humility, with compassion. Let these qualities mark us. I was so blessed this past week when uh, John Reyes uh, posted about um, just his wearing of a mask out in public. And uh, that's very relevant for us um, as, as, as so many are wearing masks and mandated even to wear masks um, out in the culture uh, today. There was somebody at the grocery store this week who was actually checking to make sure that you had a mask or you wouldn't be able to gain admittance um, into the grocery store. But uh, John's perspective was so wonderful and I think so beautiful, so right. It reflected in others' focus. John just said that he, he wears a mask not even because he's thinking of himself, but he's thinking of loving his neighbor for the sake of Christ. Our neighbor 
and the world around us, they, that many of them are consumed with fear. And uh, understandably so. That, that's where compassion causes us to look and have compassion on the perspectives that even we may have some disagreements with, um, but we have compassion towards the fears and anxieties of others. And as we go out, we go out and if we put our mask on, we do it um, trusting in the Lord for our own health, but we also look out for the health of others. And we do it with, with gentleness and respect, with the hopes of seeking to proclaim the gospel to those who are in fear. Um, and I just love that perspective that John had. And I just say amen to that. And I was thinking of the same thing, just whenever I put my mask on to do it uh, for the sake of the good of others. Uh, you, you'll get a laugh out of this. I was driving over to the uh, bank this past week. I had to travel over there a number of times. And it's kind of weird going to a bank and putting a mask on. So I was like, should I put a mask on? I mean, I, I put my mask on. I look like a, a bank robber. I look like a, a I look like a marauder who's going to jump on a train and and and, and steal a train. Uh, so it just makes me laugh when I go to put on a mask to go into the bank. I'm expecting the police to converge on me and arrest your pastor and throw him into prison. But I guess during this time of the coronavirus, the, the fears of uh, someone wearing a mask at the bank are, are overrode by the, the goodness of wearing a mask to protect the health of the, the bank workers. And so, um, but yeah, we do these things out of love. We, we speak with humility. We speak with compassion towards our culture. And even as we see unbelievers, uh, let us remember their lost condition. As we see unbelievers sometimes saying opinions that are what we deem to be very outrageous and offensive, perhaps, um, let us, rather than self-righteously or sinfully judge them, let us pray for them. And let us pray that these times would press them to their knees and that they would come to know the Lord Jesus. Let us approach these things biblically. Let us pray that harvesters would go into the field to, 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 seek, to pre preach the gospel to the lost so that they would be one to Jesus Christ in these times. Amen. And as we speak with our brothers and sisters, let us do everything we can, as Ephesians 4.29 reminds us, to, to build one another up, and that what we speak benefits those who listen. Again, I love that focus in Ephesians 4.29, that when I speak as a believer, I'm not simply to speak my mind for the sake of getting something off of my chest, which is more of a self-orientation. I'm called as a Christian to, as I speak, to not let any unwholesome words come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it might benefit those who listen or those who read. So I want to do everything I can to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to do everything I can as I share my heart and my perspectives to, to make sure that on the other end of it, nobody feels a distance from me, but feel like they can speak to me no matter where they're coming from in their struggles, that they feel like they have a safe place to come to with their particular struggles, no matter where their struggles are coming from. I want to strive to do these things so that I can proclaim the comfort that the Lord lives.
to all. And I love how David says that in this um, in this passage. You know, I I was thinking of this as well, related to just the season that we're in with the uh, coronavirus. And this might be just another application for us. We're living in times and we're living in a time where so many people um, have a mindset of we want what we feel we are owed. We as Christians are called to be distinct. We are called to be more mindful of what we have received, of what we've been given. And so let there be something very distinct about our lives, something holy about the aroma coming off of our lives and our attitudes. Let it be that what marks us isn't an attitude of, I want what I'm owed but is an attitude toward God and also toward others of, I'm so thankful for what I've received. May God give us grace, Christ community, to really shine in relation to these things. I want to move on to point two and point three. The Lord has been faithful. The Lord has been faithful. Again, in verse 29 of 1 Kings chapter 1, And the king swore, saying, as the Lord lives. Look at the second half that David had in his mind first to speak when he spoke. He says, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. I love that. The Lord has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. What a comfort to us as well in the midst of what we're facing right now. And I... No matter what you're facing, I want to encourage you that the Lord lives and also to remind you to call this to mind for yourself, but also to call to mind as we're in care group and we're trying to encourage one another. Let's remind each other frequently and often that the Lord lives and he has redeemed my soul from every adversity. I want to thank our care group leaders and our assistant care group leaders and their wives and really church for all of you. Those of you who are involved in uh, the care group life of the church and the fellowship of the saints. This has been a time in Christ's community where even though we haven't been able to be together physically, the, the amount of fellowship and the amount of outpouring of love one to another, the building up that's going on from each of you to one another, it it moves me so deeply to be a part of a local church where this evidence of grace shines so abundantly in our midst. It's really an evidence of God's grace in our church life. And I'm so thankful for it. And I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for our care group leaders and assistants who help facilitate this. I'm thankful for every one of you and your fellowship. And as we fellowship, let the focal point of our fellowship be to remind people that the Lord lives. And let us also, like David, remind our brothers and sisters in Christ as as we remind our own souls that the Lord has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. 
He's reflecting back now on his life. Remember, he's about ready to die. David's looking back, and as he recounts the history of his life, he has seen as we sing that God has been faithful, and he will be again. He's in the midst of this unresolved situation, and many of us are in the midst of an unresolved situation right now. Let us not drive ourselves toward anxiety and fear and worry. Let us call to mind that the Lord lives and let us reflect on all the past grace that he has extended to us. The past grace of reflecting back on all the many battles that we have waged and many different attacks that have come at us in our past and our Christian lives. And remember that the Lord has redeemed our souls He redeemed our souls in the greatest sense when he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, shedding his blood to be the ransom to deliver us out from the shackles of being imprisoned in in sin and in slavery to death and and, and imprisoned, held in bondage by, by Satan himself. The Lord Jesus has set us free from all of that. He's redeemed us out into safety, into freedom in Christ that we have right now and that we enjoy if you're a Christian and you've trusted in Christ. You are a free man. You are a free woman when you have believed in Jesus Christ. But in the midst of our Christian lives and even in David throughout his life of faith, his life was filled with many trials and our life likewise is filled with many trials. We need to remember that Jesus never promised us a trial-free life. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And here we see this precious promise in 1 Kings 1, verse 29, that the Lord lives. He has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. Oh, brothers and sisters, we feel like at times, like we're brought to the breaking point as we look at the difficulties and the sufferings and the trials that we've had to endure But you know what? We have always been held together by our God. And we will always be redeemed in safety from the battles that we wage, as Scripture says. We have been redeemed out of every adversity. We have been delivered, and we have been delivered again and again and again. 2 Corinthians 1 The Apostle Paul talks about that God has delivered me and he will deliver me again. That mindset of the Lord lives and he's been faithful to me in the past. He has never, ever failed to redeem me out of every adversity that I have faced. What words to speak to his own soul, but then also to speak to troubled Bathsheba and troubled Solomon. In the midst of this moment where the schemings of man were at work and unresolved. And he's going to take care of these problems as king in just a moment and give leadership that helps to set things straight. But behind even David's leadership, it's important for us to note as we transition to point three, the Lord will be faithful is that God is the one whose purposes will stand. The Lord's plans succeed. And there is no plan that succeeds against the Lord. 
Scripture always reminds us of this again and again and again. And, and David here, as he's about ready to give instruction, that's going to resolve this whole tension and all this difficulty. Um, what he says here is, first, the Lord lives and he's redeemed my soul out of every adversity. In other words, as I look now to the present and as I look to the future, God's got this. God has got this. What a great comfort to our souls. And brothers and sisters, let us also be reminded of this right now. No matter what you're facing, no matter what I'm facing, and the battles that we are in spiritually, the battles that we're in materially um, in, in this fallen world, the sufferings we're facing, the uncertainties we're facing, um, we know this. The Lord lives. He's with us. He loves us. And he redeems our soul from every adversity. And he also will redeem our soul out of every adversity all the way until we get safely home to heaven. Do not fear. We can cry out to him today and we can say, Lord, I need you. I need you. And we can know that the Lord lives and that he also redeems our soul out of every adversity. He's been faithful, in other words. He's been faithful in the past. And he's going to be faithful in the days to come. Let us be mindful of that ourselves. Let us also remind our precious brothers and sisters in Christ of this. Let us speak with love. Let us speak with compassion. Let us speak with humility. Let us speak to build one another up in these times. And let us be reminded that in the midst of all the ragings of man and the schemings of man, that there is no purpose that succeeds against the Lord. As Psalm chapter 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and that's kind of what Adonijah is trying to do here. He's trying to set himself. And the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. There's rebellion. There is a desire to rage against the Lord in Psalm chapter 2. But these happy words in Psalm 2, beginning in verse 4, are meant to reassure us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. And wrath does come upon Adonijah. Wrath comes upon Joab. Wrath comes upon Shimei. Wrath comes upon these men who had rebelled against their king. And wrath will come upon on the day of judgment those who rebel against King Jesus and who do not repent of their sins and trust in him. God will carry out justice. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. And, and the Lord says this, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And that's what happens here. The Lord sets his king on the throne in the midst of the schemings of man. It's Solomon who ends up seated on the throne, safe and secure with the people shouting around him, long live the king. 
And David goes to his grave after having seen this with his own eyes and after having given instruction to his son, the best instruction that he could give to his son Solomon, saying, I pray that God will give you courage to continue to to walk in faithfulness before the Lord, to be strong and courageous and walk in faithfulness to the commands of God. David breathed his last, laid down his life, and he also, as the Word of God says in verse 12 of chapter 2, this happy conclusion is, is just set in place. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father and his kingdom was firmly established. Brothers and sisters, when God raised his son Jesus up from the dead, he set his king, King Jesus, raised up now to new life on his throne. Jesus is seated on the throne right now, ruling over all things. And he's one day soon going to come back. Have no fear and have no doubt. And be comforted in these days that the government, the government is on Christ's shoulders. It's not in the hands of any mere man. It's in the hands of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is sovereignly ruling over all things. He rules and he reigns and he has been seated on his throne. As God said, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And we're going to enjoy very soon seeing Jesus face to face and God the Father having seated his son on the throne. We're going to see Jesus reigning on his throne face to face in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and new earth. When we who are believers in Christ die and we die in the Lord like King David, we have the assurance of knowing that we will we will see our Savior Jesus face to face immediately. And we're going to have the joy of watching him reign and rule forever and ever. And I'm so thankful that the Lord lives and the Lord has been faithful. And also the Lord is going to be faithful to us all the way to the end of the age. And then we will enjoy him forever in heaven together, church. And it's going to be awesome. So let us at this time, let's just cry out to him and say, Lord, I need you. Help me with wherever you're at right now. Let us sing to him. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. And, and let's, let's call out to him and worship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful day. I pray you would strengthen our souls. I pray that you would revive and restore and renew our souls with the truth that you live. And that you have redeemed our soul out of every adversity. And you will continue to show your faithfulness in that way to us, your people. We love you and our eyes are upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. In every area of our life, we need you. Lord, and I'm thankful, Lord, that you have showed yourself faithful to us. Lord, your creation, your loved ones, Lord, through Jesus Christ, your Son. I'm thankful, Lord, that you will be faithful to us. Lord, in, in ways that we don't, we don't even understand right now, Lord, 
Lord, you will be faithful. You are faithful. You have been faithful. Lord, Paul said he didn't even consider the sufferings compared to the future glory. Lord, we have a hope in you. Lord, that makes everything we go through, Lord, be counted as lost, but for you, Jesus. We just want to look to you, Lord, so grateful that we have you this day. I pray for each of us that we are restored in you, refreshed in you, given new hope, new mercy, new grace for this day. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.